I can have this like weird clothes monster thing that's kind of hollow at some points and always like menacing people with scissors and stuff like that. You know, your imagination's like the limit when it comes to comics. Hello, bonjour, shalom, and welcome to Culturally Jewish. I'm David Sklar. And I'm Ilana Zakon. Join us as we explore Jewish arts, culture, and identity in Canada. On this week's episode, we chat with comic book writer Ari Gross. Mama always wanted me to be a doctor, but I became an artist and that really shocked her. Now I'm interviewing people in the biz, pros, and newish, but all of them are artists and they're culturally Jewish. Elena, growing up, did you ever read comic books? I did. Oh. I was like an Archie Comics kid, though, not superhero stuff. And I loved reading the comics in the newspaper. That was like my favorite weekend activity. I didn't, I was not interested in most of the newspaper except for that page. So like, what was your favorite one? Oh my gosh, that's like reaching deep into the recesses of my memory. I I remember what they look like. I don't remember the names. I feel like I would, I, if I saw it, I would 100% remember. But it was all like the classics. I mean, there, uh, the far side was one that's still really funny. Um, where they have like the one panel kind of parody, dark humor um, comics. Those ones were ones my mom used to always cut out and put on the fridge. Um, But yeah, how about you, David? Well, definitely. But I was one of those people who maybe bought a lot of comics, but I didn't necessarily read them. I was kind of obsessed with packaging them, putting them away, thinking like for later on in life, I would make a lot of money off a very like old school X-Men comic or a Spider-Man comic or even so a Superman like comic. You like the comics. You just had them. I had them and I I was very much being like, I'm going to turn a profit on this in 30, 40 years time. So I definitely read less. Yes, I, I read a bit of them. I was kind of a big X-Men fan for sure. I watched the show and I uh, Evil Earth as well too i don't know if you know about evil ernie that was a big one no yeah so that was like i'm not at all uh involved in the superhero world fair enough fair enough but the reason why i'm asking this is because we're inviting ari gross onto the show today and he just wrote his latest comic series called wardens that takes place in the ward in toronto in the 1920s and sort of how the cultures of the Jewish community, the Chinese community, and black immigrants struggle to survive while fighting the supernatural. And we're gonna find out a bit more about what we mean by that, the supernatural. Um, But basically, like we know, we know that all the comics and all the comic book writers of past yore were Jews, right? So it's interesting to sort Mm -hmm. of reflect and sort of say, what was the influence of these people who were not necessarily religious Jews, but their background being very culturally Jewish, how did that influence comic books of the 40s, 50s, 60s, and of the 21st century? Yeah, and I'd love to see how that reflects now. We don't have as many Jewish comic book writers as a, they're not the doctors of our community anymore. So curious to hear his thoughts on what it's like to be a Jewish comic book writer in 2024. Indeed. Let's take a listen. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pried, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. 
And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. Hey Ari, welcome to Culturally Jewish. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, thank you. So for our audiences, can you give us a quick, like, 30-second summary of Wardens? Wardens is a comic book set in the 1920s Toronto in an immigrant community called The Ward. This is one of Toronto's first immigrant communities. It's a multicultural community, uh, predominantly at this time Jewish, Chinese, Black, and Italian. Uh, this comic features all those communities, but especially focuses on the Jewish community in terms of Rachel Tussman, a Jewish seamstress and down in her luck uh a woman who is has her life turned upside down when her place of work uh, burns to the ground and gives rise to a supernatural uh, menace in the form of the Shmata, a Kabbalistic, uh, magical, uh, possessed clothes as out for bloody revenge for whoever started the fire. I love it. Ari, at the same time, I mean, you're a certified nuclear energy worker, and I believe you also have a doctor of philosophy. I think you also have backgrounds in history and physics. So how did you decide to become this comic book writer? Well, I've been reading comics forever. Uh, I mean, I, as a kid, I remember, you know, reading Batman, like at you know, Spider-Man, like the youngest ages. So I've always read comics. Uh, slowly, I've sort of transitioned into, you know, like as I had kids, I started instead of buying just books, which I bought, you know, normal books. I also bought a ton of comics and they got really into them. So I sort of became more of a comic person almost as I grew up. Uh, and I've done a lot of things. I've, you know, overeducated like you know shocking to any jewish person background in philosophy and physics and you know plays music and all this other stuff uh and i'm i don't know i, I just sort of like when once i i transitioned into uh machine learning data science a few years ago uh I, once i realized i wasn't going to be in academia i uh, was initially going to be in academia for for many years i thought maybe i was going to be a historian or philosopher of science but i decided after you know after some life evaluations that it was time for something a little different uh, but doing this sort of technical job left a bit of a creative hole. And I had this story kicking around uh, my head for a few years now. And in 2020, I decided I was out of reasons to not write it. And I just decided to do it. So I decided to just dive in and learn how to write a comic, which is a whole thing. I don't have a background in creative writing prior to this. So I, I learned on the fly. I wrote a bunch of short stories. I wrote a bunch of uh, longer ones. And, you know, lo and behold, Four years later, here I am. It's taken a year to get drawn, but finally the first issue of Wardens is out. Wow. Did you have a mentor throughout this or were you just scouring through old comic books trying to get the, the, the style and like what was your process? So writing comics is, like I said, it's a little different and there is, there's a lot you have to learn specifically about that. I mean, you have to do math, like when you're just writing, you know, the page even to be how many words are on a page, you know, how many panels per page, like all those things are things you don't have to think about when doing a screenplay, but are sort of unique to comic book writing. Uh, so what I did is I actually found a community. I joined, uh, there's a comic writer called Scott Snyder. He wrote Batman for a number of years in the 2010s. And I he, he started a comic class. And so I joined it just on a whim. I just saw that it was happening just online. And uh, there I hooked up with a, with, a, with a little community of people who were learning how to write comics and wanted to do this and sort of, you know, at the really from like the ground up people who are like kind of my level you know want to get into this and got into this and now you know it's been three four years since we've really started and some of us are transitioning into 
learning how to do it to actually doing and putting out issues, putting out, uh, you know, series. And yeah, so my goal is to produce uh, at least two ongoing series, one set in the past, one set in the present, both Toronto based uh, stories and just just keep going at it. You've mentioned Scott Snyder from Batman, but there's also another comic book, Will Eisner's Contract with God. I believe that was like a big inspiration for your writing now in Wardens. Can you give us a brief background on maybe that comic and then what you found so inspiring about it? Absolutely. Yeah. Contract with God is one of, I think, the most important comics in the history of comics and and certainly one of my favorites. It is the first graphic novel uh, published in the 70s. Uh, Will Eisner, who is a comic writer, had been writing newspaper uh, uh, strips and comic books and stuff like that since at least the 40s, uh, maybe earlier. I can't, I, I can't, can't tell you exactly. But he's been doing this for a long time, and so by the time he gets out around to writing a contract with God, he's already told all the stories that, like all the adventure stories, the stories of he was mostly known for doing the Spirit, who is a, a crime fighter. Uh, so that kind of like you know, sort of superhero or, or crime that thing but he he makes a total different pivot in the 70s where he tells this story that's not serialized in any way which is different for comics at the time uh and it's about uh this jewish man whose uh whose daughter dies and he's lost his faith and he told god we had a contract uh and and you broke it and so he becomes uh, as secular as can be he sort of gives up religion and he becomes immensely successful in life and it realizes at the end of it uh, that something is still missing in his life, and he wants to find a new contract for God, a contract with God. And one of the things I, I think is perfect about this book, in terms of uh, a Jewish uh, cultural work, is he goes to these rabbis and he asks them, "I need a contract with God." And there's some dispute amongst them: Can we do such a thing? Can we speak for God? And then one of the rabbis says, "Is not all religion a contract between man and God?" Which I think sums up sort of Jewish philosophy in a way that differentiates it from, you know, Christianity, Islam, other major religions, Buddhism, etc., where Judaism is, it's based on this idea of this contract, this covenant. Uh, and this is, I don't know, it's just, it's like a Job story. It's like, it, it's, it's a beautiful story. It's very emotionally compelling. And I think it sums up what it sort of, what it means to be Jewish and the, uh, the tensions we feel, uh, especially sort of, you know, within modern secular Jews, very well. Uh, you know, it's over 50 years old, but like it's, it pulls out the heartstrings every time I read it. And so what, what's your own personal connection with being Jewish? Wardens is obviously a very, very Jewish comic book. There's Yiddish in it. There's Kabbalah. Um, what, what's your, how do you define yourself as a Jew? So I am culturally Jewish. Uh, so I grew up in Montreal. Uh, we grew up uh, very secular. I mean, we celebrated a few, you know, ho- holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, like, you know, sometimes you fast, sometimes you don't, depends who's doing it kind of thing, like that level of Jewish. Uh, but I was always very interested in in Jewish culture more than the, like, like for me, Judaism is not something that I need as a religion to fill a spiritual gap. I don't, I don't have that hole in my life. Uh, it's something that helps inform kind of the culture, the I mean, like, like my family is very culturally Jewish in terms of like sort of all this typical Jewish stereotypes you see in sort of Jewish comedies like Seinfeld, Arrested Development, Curb Enthusiasm, whatever. Like that's my family. My uh, my wife. It's all our families. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is. My wife, who is Chinese, she's a Chinese uh, Canadian from Edmonton. You know, she grew up in Edmonton and she didn't realize, first of all, that Seinfeld was Jewish or like 
how Jewish it was until she met my family and met me. And she's like, I get it now. Like, this makes sense. Before, I thought it was just kind of funny. These are real people <laughs> and you are related yeah. to them. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just have to I have to interrupt and have to ask because my partner is Chinese as well, too. And he never finds Curb Your Enthusiasm funny at all. He says he doesn't get the humor. Does, does your partner get the humor? Oh, she loves it. Yeah. It's like okay. it destroys her every time. But yeah, I, I just want to say I so growing up, I never felt a, a it was weird because my Judaism was sort of less of a central defining cultural identity thing than being an Anglo Montrealer because I grew up English in Montreal in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, that's the split there. Anglo, you know, French versus, you know, separatist, federalist, that kind of thing. So that was sort of how I, I grew up with the, the I guess, the identity. And then I, I left Montreal and I went to Saxon, New Brunswick, where I did my undergrad uh, in, in physics, as I mentioned, philosophy of physics as well. And I was the only Jewish person I knew. I mean, the joke is there was two and a half Jews on campus because there was me and three other people who were half Jewish, you know? <laughs> So, you know, I did, we did Fiddler on the Roof. I was the only Jewish person Fiddler on the Roof. And so I, I came back to Montreal during a, a spring break and stuff like that. Not spring break, sorry, for summer break. And I ended up sort of being interested in, in what I had sort of taken as an assumption of this sort of culture that I come from that everyone must know, because that's just what my family knows. Something that nobody knew. Like people have been like, oh, you're a Jew. What's that like? You know, not a lot of Jews, I guess, in you know, Sydney, Nova Scotia. So it... it it made me sort of re-examine the stuff. And I took a course in Yiddish at the time, which I think uh, not, at McGill in Montreal when I was back for a summer. And I, that sort of cemented the, the longstanding interest in Yiddish and sort of the cultural aspects of Judaism, I'd say, uh, more than anything else. And so how much of that experience of being kind of the, the lone Jew, the outsider in another place inform what you're hoping to accomplish with Wardens as a very Jewish comic? Are you hoping that it will inform more people about it in the same way that you were saying your partner was like, oh, I get Seinfeld now, like this is what's happening? Or is it mainly for a Jewish audience or a bit of both? Wardens is really written for both. I mean, there's a lot of terms and things that Jewish people will will get, which are sometimes not explained, but, you know, are common if you look them up. You know, if someone's dying, it's common. You know, it, in almost all comics, if if someone's saying the Shema, they're probably going to die. You know, they're or a time you know, if a Jewish character is about to die, they will say the Shema. You know, something like that. Like there's things that if you're just if you're not in the religion or you don't know of that thing, that doesn't mean anything to you. But if you do, it means something. And then there's a lot of things like the Yiddish where I want to make it as broad and accessible. So I use untranslated Yiddish, but I give the context behind it. Where you know, I'll use a phrase and someone will say. Uh, a variation of that same phrase back or respond to in a way that you'll understand the words they're using. And if you don't, that's fine. Everyone has a supercomputer in their hands that could look up anything in the world as long as it's in a script they can write. So whatever. Yeah. I definitely appreciated that about your writing because sometimes I think people overemphasize trying to explain like blah, 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 this means this. And I feel like it can, it can water it down a bit. There's a lot more authenticity to just having the actual words there without needing to explain them right back to back. Thanks. Uh, I mean, and that takes that takes a lot of work at editing and, and careful consideration. It's not something that happens by accident. You have to you have to make it seem that it's natural, but also comprehensible to someone who's outside the the target group, which the you know the the in references for. Now is there anything you you mentioned, you know, you're very culturally Jewish, but was there anything when you were researching wardens in in, in all this time that you said, oh, I didn't even know this about the Jewish community or the Chinese community, the black community in the ward in Toronto. Well, when I started to research this, uh, I, I knew that there were these communities, but I didn't know much about them. Uh, it, it 
it's totally interesting to me, the fact that there's these various ethnic communities that live basically right next to each other. We're totally fine with each other. Uh, like there's no ethnic strife in the way that there was in, in many other places. And I mean, this, like, it's one of these examples of like, it, people just kind of got along <laughs> in a way that, you know, they came from a lot of places, but I guess one of the mess, one of the things is they probably came from places, but didn't have like beef with each other back where they came from. Like it wasn't like, you know, two people who were old enemies then moved into a neighborhood and became, you know, it's like people had nothing really to sort of do with each other in terms of their like sort of emotional stories. And so everyone seems seemed to get along mostly well. You know, there's always like a little bit of tension and stuff, but by and large, the communities were fine. Uh, I guess the thing that surprised me uh, the most when I was researching the history of it was the fact that, which is sort of the history of Jewish Toronto in general, where before the massive immigration from the 19th, late 19th and early 20th century, uh, most of the Jewish Torontonians were English or British and German and were more secular, more assimilated, uh, culturally a lot closer uh, to the uh, uh, the non-Jewish uh, Torontonians at the time. They were basically, you know, white but Jewish. You know, however, how, you know, what that even meant in the 1920s, you know, whatever. But like uh, where the the recent immigration, I mean, recent, the historical immigration into the ward was largely Ashkenazi Jews from Eastern Europe uh, who were not of the same sort of class, essentially, as the other people. You know, most of them were very poor. Most of them were, you know, like my ancestors who came to not Toronto, but Montreal and Windsor, you know, didn't arrive with buckets of money or anything, you know, get off the boat trying to escape, you know, pogroms in the old country, like, you know, looking for a new job, trying to survive, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, the the dad would come and then send for the wife and the kids later and stuff like that. But it was a, it was a different, uh, a different group of people than the, the Jews were there before. So even within the history of Jewish Toronto, there are like the immigration patterns sort of, th there's a history to them. It's not just like, Jews came then and more Jews came and then more Jews came. It's like, you have to look at who's coming, which is similar uh, to the contemporary immigration that's happening with uh, Chinese Torontonians, you know, Chinese Canadians in general. I mean, the people who are coming mostly to China or mostly from China now are a different group of people that came from Hong Kong, the nineties, which are a different group of people that came from, uh, you know, Southern China, uh, Canton around there, the four regions, or I forget, forget the name, uh, you know, back in the day. And it's, it's easy to say, you know, to paint things with a big, with a broad brushstroke if you don't know much about it. But once you dig into the history, you realize that just because someone is Jewish or Chinese or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're from the same group of people, the same class of people. It doesn't mean they hold the same values. You, you have to dig into that a little deeper. Yeah. So you did all of this research. And how did your idea evolve? So you knew you wanted to do something in Toronto, maybe in that era, or what was like the the, the first draft summary of it? And, and how did it become what it was now? Yeah, so this initially came from I was I was reading, I think the earliest conception of wardens, the earliest thing that was even close to it, it actually came from the villain, the Shmata. So the Shmata is a bunch of uh, possessed clothes. Uh, the clothes are all uh, sewn with uh, with brahas. And at, at a moment of desperation, they're arranged uh, uh, to correspond with the Etzhaim, the tree of life, and uh, the, you know, Jewish magic, hand wavy, whatever, uh, results in this uh, this villain that is essentially a bunch of souls that inhabit uh, these angry clothes. Uh, and I kind of wanted something that w was like very old school and very tied to the Shmata business, which is something that uh, my my family has been in. My great grandfather, when he came from. Uh, 
uh, came from Russia. I, I'm not exactly sure where in Russia. It says Imperial Russia, which could be a lot of places at the time, you know. Uh, he ended up uh, coming to Montreal and he went into the, the garment business. And my his son did as well before, you know, they closed that business. They opened another thing or whatever. But it's kind of like I, I grew up in, in the Montreal sort of schmata business, like as a descendant of that. Like when I went to go get clothes, like a sports jacket and pants, like nice clothes, we didn't go to a store. We went to the factory where my dad knew the guy. I yeah. can relate to this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like also in Montreal. Classic, classic story. Anyway, continue. And, and there were Schraders at the time, there too, were that my family would take me That's to. That's right. It was Schraders yes. or like the guy you know. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. I, I kind of wanted to tell a story that linked into to that aspect of stuff. And so once I found the magical cook, and that kind of came to me while I was just reading other stuff, that like the villain came to me first. And then I was like, okay, I've, I've got that. I totally need to like double down on on this angle. And, you know, a bit of research. I, I decided I want to send in the 20s because I... Early on, I wanted to make this a sort of a prohibition story because there was a whole bunch of crime stuff to it, and I wanted to make it all surrounding uh, rum running, uh, you know, speakeasies and stuff like that. I had a good idea for a speakeasy in mind, which I which I put in the comic, and so that kind of gave it the temporal setting. And then once I started looking into the history of, actually, I don't know when I first heard about the ward. Probably from the book, the ward that came out a few years ago, the life and loss of Toronto's first immigrant neighborhood. Uh, Somehow I bounced into that and I was like, oh, this is the perfect setting for this. And then one thing led to another and it was like, okay, well, it's a multicultural immigrant neighborhood. So it's not just going to be a Jewish thing. It's going to be a Jewish and Chinese thing. Perfect. I've got this whole other side of my family that's got this expertise and that, you know, cultural domain. And then once the ball gets rolling, you know, there you have it. Story just kind of came. Now, because of your background in the sciences as well as physics, I would imagine you're dealing with a lot of you know, methodology being very, very accurate, things have to be precise. How do you square that authenticity with maybe creating something like a supernatural historical fiction? Where's that balance? It's it's tough. Research is difficult because on the one hand, you want to do a lot of good in-depth historical research, but on the other hand, you need to it needs to be a character driven story and not just a dumb of here's all the things I've learned, because that's not a story. That's just you showing your work. Uh, so you have to be very judicious about what you put in there or what you don't. One thing I'm very careful about is language. So for example, uh, people can have a boyfriend in 1926, but people don't date because the, the term to date someone it predates, uh, or I guess, uh, this period predates dating. Like just, I think the terms from the forties or something like that. So almost every single term that I could take a moment and be like, okay, let's think about this a moment looked up the etymology, saw when his first use was, decided on whether it's going in or not. You know, like that level of accuracy. Uh, but in terms of the story, and, and I mean, there's changes. Like uh, Eaton's, for example, the, the factory that everybody works at, I called it Stones. You know, it's just, it's a different place, uh, but it's basically where Eaton's is. It's, it just replaces that because I wanted to have a Jewish owner of the factory, which adds to a different sort of dynamic and a different type of story than the one you would have if you said people were working at Eaton's and then you have to be like, okay, how do I be accurate to the history of Eaton's? You know, I can't have one of Eaton's buildings burned down because that never happened, you know, but I can have Stone's building burned down and it's fine. You know, so it's historical fiction. You sort of you pick your points where you want to deviate, but you have to stay true to the time and the culture and the language to give that sort of feeling of authenticity, even if your details are different. And how much involvement did you have in the actual design ideas for the world and the characters? It's like all the involvement. <laughs> uh, uh, I worked very closely with 
uh, the artist, uh, Rob Jennix. Rob is out of uh, New Waterford, Nova Scotia. And he was the only artist of all the people uh, I, I looked at who was even like close to like on the same page in terms of style and in terms of sort of quality uh, for this comic. And so we worked very closely on the designs, very closely on all, on everything, you know. Uh, but yeah, some people, they can just like take an image out of your head and draw it. And he's the closest to that of anyone I've worked with. So it's been amazing. What do you most enjoy about seeing your story come to life in that world of cartoons as opposed to if it was a live action film or any other medium that it could have been written in? I mean, there's a personal joy for me in the sense that I just like I think comics might be my just preferred medium like in general like of all the things tv movies like you know i love tv i like movies i love i mean music's a whole separate thing i love music but in terms of like a story like comics like i don't know why it's just what i like uh so there's a personal satisfaction that comes out of like i did the thing that i wanted to do and the thing i want to do is a thing i like a lot uh but i think comics work really 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 well for telling something that is fantastical something that's supernatural because you can draw anything i can have this like weird clothes monster thing that's kind of hollow at some points and always like menacing people with scissors and stuff like that you know your imagination is like the limit when it comes to comics if someone can draw it that's good enough uh you know this would be great for a cartoon series but animation is extremely expensive it takes forever so i mean if anyone picks it up later, yeah well maybe it'll get picked up that, that would be amazing uh, one, one step at a time, I feel, though. <laughs> Alana and I were talking before you came onto the chat sort of about the early days of the comic book world where most of the writers, if not nearly all of them, were Jews. But they were never really writing from a Jewish perspective, right? They sort of couched it in the Supermans and the Spider-Man world. So your story, it's a very Jewy one. What do you think has changed or do you think things have changed where people now want to read a very specific, a very ethnically spe specific storyline? Oh, yeah. I mean, things have changed immensely since, I mean, the first comic was published in 1933 uh, by a Jewish guy. The first superhero in 1939, Superman, two Jews, Spider-Man, Stanley, Captain America, like, like the history of comics, you just start naming people. And if it's, you know, I don't know, even remotely old, it's, they were almost all Jews, except for a lot of the writers who are Italians. And I mean, they're also non, you know, like just white writers or whatever artists, but very Jewish. Uh, and the culture is very Jewish too, in terms of like Spider-Man's a classic example of a Jewish character who is not Jewish. Spider-Man constantly loses, constantly. He wins all his fights, but he loses like his emotional battles. You know, he loses his girlfriends he can't hold down the thing he loses at may like every time it's one step forward it's two steps back which is sort of a defining i don't know feature of like a lot of jewish comedy so like your your victories are always tempered with sadness there's always you know it's the breaking the glass at the <laughs> yeah. temple it's like you're getting married but eh, you know things aren't always great <laughs> keep that in mind you know uh so so uh so uh, but, but i mean at that time people were writing comics for jews they were writing comics because this was a cheap medium and they're just trying to get it out there they're trying to sell now stanley and jack kirby and uh, all all those people back in the day were trying to be popular and you know writing a jewish character is not very popular like first of all there weren't very many jews second of all there's the you know immense pervasive like just general anti-semitism that you have even you know even more so like in the 30s and 40s like in in the u.s compared to now i mean one would assume i haven't done any studies about anti-semitism anti in the u.s now but for all the things you hear 
it's like, you know, when they launched Captain America, uh, Jack Kirby and, uh, and Joe Simon, uh, again, uh, both Jews in like 1940, like people, they were like, you know, like Nazis on the street in New York saying they were going to shut the publications down. And they end up getting a call from, uh, uh, geez, who's the mayor at the time? Jewish guy with the Italian name is that the air? LaGuardia. Yeah, LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Thank you. Can't believe I forgot that. They got a phone call from LaGuardia saying like, don't worry, I got your guys back. You know, it was like that level of like, it was, it was almost subversive to be like punching Hitler in the face in the forties in the U S like that's the level we're talking about. You're not going to have like, you know, Captain America as a Jew is not going to fly if like, that's what you're dealing with. Right. So what I feel, yeah. So what I feel we're at right now is we're at a different situation where we don't have to write stories. Like I'm not a starving comic artist like like Stan Lee or like Jack Kirby who's working 13 hours a day just to get a thing out. I'm from a position of sort of historical privilege where a lot of that stuff's been done. Uh, like comics are big. Those people made comics into an actual like global, you know, medium. Certainly a like a North American powerhouse that's responsible for like billions of like you know dollars in like IP and stuff. So like. I'm I'm doing like an indie comic, something that's, you know, like re- reflective and years later. And, and it's so far distance from that, that you can tell these kind of stories. I mean, we're at, we're at a point now, I think, in society where people want culturally specific stories and people get a lot of the g- generality out of specificity that you didn't really get from, you know, people weren't doing in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 30s, whatever. So what's the hardest part then of creating a comic book? The hardest part of creating a comic book, and I shit you not, is getting people interested in your comic book. <laughs> it's it's insanely hard to create the thing. It's insanely hard to like like to to sit there and tell the story. It, it's one thing to like cre- come up with an idea for a story. It's another thing to like turn that into an actual like script where you have you know things per page, and then you have to go uh, work with an artist to draw it, and then you have to make sure the artist draws it the way that is you know, accurate, unauthentic, and there's a whole negotiation between what they bring to the table and what you would like to see. And there's all that. Uh, but I mean, right now, the, the part that's on my mind is like trying to figure out how to get people interested in this like weird indie little thing that is, you know, in this small corner of the world, the comic world, this strange intersection of the history of Toronto and, uh, and, and I guess Jewish culture and comics and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, in, in any field, like, once you get better at what you do you will find you know it's easier to do it right you know like i'm way better at seeing how many words on a page for example make sense now than i was you know three years ago when i started so like that was hard then but now the hard part is like really just you know finding the odd yeah promotion promotion stuff i mean i'm a creator i'm not a promoter at heart you know i have to be a promoter because everyone that's the problem about being an artist None of us want to go into it for the business side, but unfortunately, that's the only way to get it get it to happen. That's what I've heard from every single Absolutely. person. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ari, one one thing you've done is you started a, a Kickstarter campaign for Warden. That's right? right. So when when did that campaign start? When did it end? What did you learn? How? What did you learn about running a campaign? And um, maybe you can even mention some of the rewards you're offering. Absolutely. So the campaign started uh, January seventeenth. It is currently ongoing, unless you're listening to this after February 9th, the day on February the 9th. Uh, the campaign is about 43% of the way there. The way Kickstarter campaigns usually work is there's a rush of interest at the beginning, a rush of interest at the end, and then two weeks of nothing happening, uh, which makes for an extremely stressful time in the middle, but that's how it is. 
so for the campaign, you can uh, go to Kickstarter, and if you just search for Wardens, a new supernatural action comic series or something like that, it'll come up. I'm sure any number of keywords uh, will we'll get this to hit. Uh, but we're offering a digital version, a physical version, uh, some little extra goodies with physical versions and these little trading cards that I make. I was a big fan of the old uh, Marvel uh, trading cards that they had in the 90s. And so all my comic stuff is these little trading cards with them. We have a little art print, which is an homage to uh, some uh, the Mario 3 art. If anyone, you'll see it. If you know, you know. Uh, but the bigger uh, tiers uh, that I uh, think people might be interested in is our artists will do a sketch of people in a... A, a 1920s sort of style, a caricature, uh, which uh, is great. He are, uh, and the biggest one is you can get drawn into an issue of Wardens 2. It's sort of a cameo tier. So I strongly encourage people to check those out. Uh, if you are at all interested in having uh, yourself be in a comic, uh, then I, by all means, come one, come all. We'd love to put you in. And uh, even if you just want to read a comic, if you just want to know a thing exists, or even if you just want to back it, it's not for you to read, but you just like the idea, I'll, I'll take all comers. <laughs> but I will still send you a digital copy, even if you say don't send me one, because I want more people to read it, or at least to be able to send it on to someone else to read it. I'm a big fan of sharing. Becoming a character in the next um, edition of Wardens definitely piqued my interest. I was like, oh, maybe... David will appear if, if I spend enough money on it. You, if you spend enough money, you definitely will appear. <laughs> I guarantee you that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ari, for sharing all of your comic book wisdom. I look forward to all of our listeners getting a copy of Wardens. Thank you so much. So, David, you're in the new play. Tell me about that. I am. We just started rehearsals two days ago, and it's called The Black Bondspiel of Wooly McCrimmon. Alana, do you bond know? Bondspiel? I was going to ask Is that you if you like, knew. like Yiddish? Like spiel? It's, um, it's a curling tournament, and it consists of several games. They're usually like held on a weekend. Um, so basically this story, and I don't know if you know the playwright W.O. Mitchell. I don't. Okay, very famous sort of Western Canadian playwright of like the 50s style. So this is a very Canadian play. It's set in Alberta. And basically it's a retelling of the Faustian bargain where this guy, Wooly, makes a deal with the devil that he's willing to sell his soul in order to win this big Bonspiel tournament. And um, a lot of a lot of it's about the local community. It's about this curling match. We get to curl on stage and I happen to play Judas Iscariot. Okay, before we get into that, <laughs> uh, how's your curling? <laughs> are you starting to practice now? Okay, so uh, I had never curled before this show. And then one of my colleagues who's also in the show with me decided we're going to take a lesson. So we went to the Calgary Curling Club. We spent two hours on the ice. We learned all the lingo. We, we learned how to sweep and all that hard, hard, hard kind of expression going on. Um, but it turns out on our first day of rehearsal, because this play is set in the 30s, all that goes out the window. Any kind of proper 21st century technique, how you move, how you stretch is kind of out the window. So we're dealing with brooms and sweeping. That's very much like you just take it almost like you're bowling and you log the sucker, the rock down to the other side of the ice. And you're playing Judas Iscariot. Uh, please expand. <laughs> How could, why would Judas Iscariot be in a show in Canada in the 1930s about a bond spiel? Well, basically <laughs> the devil, I'm playing for the devil's team. So the devil yeah. brings up on their side, we've got uh, Lizzie Borden, we've got Mackers, Macbeth, and you've got Judas Iscariot. And um, 
I'm sure some people are like, that's kind of weird. But, you know, when W.O. was writing this play, obviously Judas in good Christian um, folklore or in the Bible, Judas is the villain, right? The bad guy. So he is playing for the devil's team. And and um, when I was approached to maybe if I was interested in playing this, I had to give it a second thought. You know, how would me being a Jewish actor want to or would be willing to play this character that is normally like, you know, doesn't have the best reputation in the Jewish community. And a lot of Christians have blamed Judas and thus the Jewish community for the killing of Christ. So I had, right. to, I had to take a hot second uh, before taking on this role, but said, well, you know what? I'm going to think, I think I'm going to reinvent this role to make Judas more sympathetic, let's say. Well, you'll have to keep us posted on your curling and your well-rounded character building. Thank you. I will definitely do that. So what's on the docket for next month? What is happening across Canada? So this isn't Canadian, but I thought it was important to mention that a Jewish Holocaust movie is nominated for an Oscar. It's called The Zone of Interest. It's about the commandant of Auschwitz and his wife who strive to build a dream life for their family in a house and garden next to the camp. I personally have a hard time watching a lot of Holocaust content, but if you're the type of person who can stomach that or... As interested, I highly recommend you checking it out. David, how about you? Thank you, Elena. So going on in my neck of the woods at Temple B'nai Tikva, it's an online event. Uh, They are inviting Steve Marcus, who is an artist, illustrator, and pop culture innovator on January 31st, 7 p.m. Alberta time. But as I said, it'll be 9 p.m. Eastern, and it is online. And basically, Steve is going to weave his childhood memories of, let's say, bagels and pickles from the barrel along with his journey of passion for his roots and culture. It should be an interesting event to check out online. Nice. Back over to you. There is a book that I want to shout out. It's not out till March, but she just announced it yesterday. So I know the author. Her name is Sivan Slapak. She runs the Jewish Arts Mentorship Program that I did last year at the Siegel Center. Um, And she's a writer. Her book is called Here is Still Here. And you can pre-order it now. It's on Indigo. This is the synopsis. Raised in a family of post-war Jewish refugees in Canada, Isabel feels displaced from an early age. She's searching for love, purpose, and the true meaning of home. From Montreal to Jerusalem and back again, she navigates checkpoints and borders, home and exile, milestones and disappointment, love and loss. So this is Sivan's first publication, and I really wanted to shout that out. So be sure to pre-order um, here is still here by Sivan Slapak. I know Sivan uh, not very well, but I did not know she was a writer as well. So this is very exciting to hear. And over in Toronto, we've got Funny Jews. Funny Jews is a stand-up comedy show that's going to bring together the brightest and funniest Jewish comedians for a night of side-splitting, humor, fetching, and maybe even a little guilt. It is happening February 4th at 8 p.m., at the Prosserman JCC. It is in partnership with a Cultura Collective membership, as I said, 8 p.m. February 4th. If you're in Toronto, check it out with headliners featuring Brandon Sobel, Tamara Shevon, and headliner Elon Altman. Also be sure to donate to Ari's campaign for his book. We'll put the link in the show notes, and there's a whole bunch of different prizes you can get depending on how much you donate. I think I'm going to buy a copy to support, so... Be sure to check that out. David, I just realized that I didn't ask you at all about your trip to Hawaii. How was that? The weather was fantastic. I don't know if you've ever been. I have not. I would love to go, though. Yeah, it's great. It's 25 degrees every single day. Uh, It's gentle breezes. 
the uh, the people are very laid back and relaxed over there. So my mom and I, we took a tour of most of the island. We sat on the beach. We had some ramen noodles. Um, and we just sort of took in the atmosphere and the people. There's a lots of shopping over there. We were in Honolulu for the majority of the time. So it was really great to get away. Unfortunately, being Canada what it is, uh, it was minus 40 in Calgary before we left. And oh my God. we had to deal with flight delays and flight cancellations, both to and from there. There is something, even after the pandemic, like we are not back to where we are in Canada in terms of WestJet or Air Canada. So shame on them. I feel like I heard something on the radio about the threat of blackouts in Calgary. That was Calgary, right? Because the weather was so cold that they had to make sure that the whole city didn't lose power. That is exactly right. So like it was minus 40, as I said, but it felt like minus 50. People were very That's nuts. It was nuts. Like you, everyone's like, stay indoors. You cannot go outside. Yeah. It is dangerous yeah, to spend that. more than two minutes outside. And that's when we were supposed to leave uh, to Hawaii. And my mom's flight sadly got canceled from Montreal to Calgary. So we had to scramble very last minute to get her a flight the next day or we would not have made the trip at all. It's not even that cold in Montreal. I know. It's actually been, it's like the weather got really cold and now it's back to like zero. Who knows, global warming. Anyway, I'm glad you had a nice time and looking forward to more interviews with you on the show now that you're back. Thank you, Alana. This has been great and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Culturally Jewish is hosted by me, David Sklar, and Ilana Zakon. We're produced and edited by Michael Freeman, and our theme music is by Sarah Siegel Lazar. We're a member of the CJN Podcast Network. To support our work and everything the CJN does, visit the cjn.ca slash donate to make a monthly donation and receive a charitable tax receipt. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Mm-hmm.